Hi everyone and welcome to Life in Flux. My name is Jesse Begley and I'm coming to you all the way from Istanbul, Turkey. Anyone planning a European holiday, by the way, should consider Istanbul as a must-see destination. It's summer, people are out filling cafes, drinking in rooftop bars and watching the World Cup. It's a great time to be here and walk around this ancient, amazing tapestry of a city. So my next guest is one of Australia's most accomplished but surprisingly unknown athletes. John Wayne Parr, at age 17, won his first Australian title in kickboxing. In 1996, when he was 19, he moved to Thailand to learn professional Muay Thai. He is still fighting to this day, with 10 world titles under his belt and a total of 99 kickboxing wins to his name. This is Life in Flux, and I give you John Wayne, the gunslinger part. Welcome to Life in Flux. I'm, uh, my name is Jesse Begley, and I'm sitting here on a beautiful veranda up here in the uh, Gold Coast. The one and only John Wayne Parr is uh, showing me some true Australian-slash-Thai hospitality, the uh, 10-time world champion. Uh, John, thanks for coming on uh, Life in Flux. Thank you very much. It's an honour to be on the podcast. Thanks. Okay, well, let's get right into it. Um, for those listening uh, who haven't heard of Muay Thai before, can you break down the differences between Muay Thai and kickboxing? Maybe and give a bit more clarity on what Muay Thai is. Sure. Uh, so Muay Thai is a, a combination of uh, boxing, uh, and then it, you can kick anywhere from the ankle up to the to the head. Uh, you can also uh, stand up uh, grappling, so you can hold the neck, you can uh, pull your opponent's face down, knee him in the face, body or thigh, and then you also have the added exception of the elbows. So you, so you can elbow the body, you can elbow the face. Uh, the elbow is very sharp, so it's almost like fighting with razors. So as soon as you get a you get hit with an elbow. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get cut or knocked out, uh, and then you have to overcome trying to. If you do get hit with the elbow and you get cut, you got to overcome trying to trying to fight on, even though blood's dripping in your eye and um, you can feel it's uh, running down your cheek and everything. You got to sort of turn off the pain and just uh, and keep focus on, on the job at hand and trying to win. So, what was it about Muay Thai and martial arts that intrigued you from a young age? Um, I just had a fascination with martial arts ever since I was about maybe three years old. Uh, I was watching TV shows such as Monkey Magic, uh, The Karate Kid, uh, Van Damme, Kickboxer, uh, Bloodsport. All those sort of movies influenced me into one of the Chase the Dream, um, be, a, be a martial artist. I didn't know what sort of martial artist. I just knew I wanted the, to be a, a fighter and somewhat. Uh, I was very lucky that there was a we moved to Brisbane when I was 11 years old I went to a, 11 different schools so I was always a new kid but always had this fascination with martial arts so, so at 11 years old we moved to the city um, and it was the first time that sort of a, a, a taekwondo school was only three or four houses up from our house so it was the first time mum gave me the uh, she trusted me to go out at night time and, and come come back by myself as only being 11 years old uh, so yeah I started Taekwondo fell in love with it um, did that for about a year and a half uh, and I had this fascination I wanted to go to Korea I wanted to be the greatest Taekwondo practitioner, practitioner ever in the Australia and then um, unfortunately the, the gym I was training at they closed down they couldn't afford their rent much longer and then about six months later kickboxing moved into the same hall and I, I had my full passion was Taekwondo at that stage I thought ah oh, look it's just up the road I'll try this kickboxing I'll do this until I find another Taekwondo school and then I'll continue with my journey I'll go into Korea and be in the Taekwondo guy and then uh, I tried kickboxing for the first time and from from the very first class I thought oh, this is amazing this is blowing my mind um, this is my new passion 
so I'd, I'd been kickboxing maybe a month or two, and the movie Kickboxer came out, which uh, detailed the story of a guy going to Thailand fighting the Thais until they become um, good enough to fight the, this most scariest Thai in Thailand, and, and of course the the Westerner won. So. Now that was my new goal was to to, to go to Thailand and, and fight the Thais and um, so from from 13 years old pretty much uh, I didn't just want to be a world champion like every other Joe Blogs I had to do it in Thailand I had to beat a Thai in Thailand for a world title to make it genuine and uh, I was very lucky to do it twice so yeah I got to live my dream multiple times tell me about your mentor uh, Richard Vell yes uh, yeah tell me about him and you know your journey to as a teenager moving over to Thailand and uh, I think the tattoo that uh, that you agreed to have on your back as well. Yes. Yeah, so what happened was, I fought. Um, I was gonna. I just won the Australian title at 17 years old, and then my promoter trainer he thought it was a good idea that, to fight a Thai next. So that word got around that I was fighting this Thai guy. So a, a friend of ours, he knew a Thai gentleman that, that was a former fighter and lived in Australia now. So he introduced me to him. He said, "Oh, look, if you're gonna fight a Thai, I, I got to help teach you some Thai techniques. Otherwise, um, there's a good chance you, you might die." <laughs> so, uh, so I started training with him once a week. And then he knew Richard Vell that had a, a Thai restaurant in, in Surface Paradise. So I said, okay, what we might do, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, and then uh, he, he can organize you a, a sponsorship. So maybe go down to the restaurant and, and eat dinner once a, once a week for free. I thought, oh, wow, my very first sponsor. So I met Richard, and Richard was this, um, just this character. that um, he, was just, he was so awesome. And then once a week turned into twice a week, turned into three, four, five times, and then ended up just being uh, almost every day. I, I lived not very far away, so I'd, I'd walk to the restaurant. I'd sit in the back kitchen, and then as Richard was preparing the food, and i just sit in the back and listen to, to stories about Thailand and this mystical country of where they fight for a number, the national sport. Um yeah, so, and then um, I had a very hard fight in Noosa where I got dropped in the second round with a late kick, got an eight count. I was on the verge of losing. And then uh, Richard spurred me on, come on, you got to win, you got to win, you win. So, and then the fifth round with six seconds to go, ended up knocking the guy out to, to win this uh, South Pacific title. Uh, so the next day I took the belt down to the restaurant, we were celebrating, um, and then Richard goes, oh, last night you showed a lot of heart, uh, a lot of people would have gave up, but you kept going and you won the belt, um, how would you like to go to Thailand and learn how to do it off the professionals? So oh, that'd be that'd be perfect, that'd be amazing. So i tell you what i do, if, if you can organise your passport, I'll do the rest. So I went to the post office, I filled out all the paperwork, I sent it away, uh, a week later the post, the, the, the passport rocked up, I went down to the restaurant, Richard, you got my passport, so he grabbed me by the hand. We walked. We walked a um, couple hundred meters down the road to the travel agent. We sat down, and the, he, Richard said, "Okay, I want a, a, a six-month open ticket to Thailand, please." And then um, Richard looked at me and goes, "Okay, you have to promise me one thing. Um, it was going to be a six-month ticket. You can't come home within six months. If you come home, me and you, our relationship is over. But if you can stay six months, um, you make me very proud." So all right, I can do that. I can do that. No problems. This is what I want to do more than anything in the world. So six months is easy. So I ended up going over. Um, I ended up having uh, five fights or five wins. Um, come back to Australia, thinking, oh, that was an amazing adventure. That was a cool journey. So I started working at Richard's restaurant, washing dishes and collecting plates, and just working out the back, not knowing what Plan B was after that, because I uh, just spent so long over there. And then uh, the Thai camp that I was living at, they rang up Richard and said, "Hey, look, he's got a." bright future in the sport he's got potential to go a long way um could you please send him back again so richard's like hey john wayne uh do you want to go back to thailand so i'd love to go back so all right so 
this time this the first one was a cute six months this next time is it got to be 12 months so but same deal again so you got to promise me you got to stay 12 months if you come back before that me and you're done blah, blah blah so yeah i can say 12 months it's easy so in 1997, um, I had, a, I think, $1,000 in my pocket for, and to stay in Thailand for 12 months. Wow. And then uh, luckily for me, um, I ended up getting picked up by the number one promoter, um, by pure fluke. And then I started fighting for him. Then I started making enough money that I could survive off my prize money. Um, so, so yeah, every time I almost ran out of, out of Thai Bart, I'd have another po- uh, fight that my money would get picked up again. And then just as I'm about to run out again, I'd have another fight. So I ended up having nine fights that year. Uh, I think I had nine fights, uh, six wins. Um, ended up being the, the first Australian to fight in like the, the number one stadium in Bangkok, um, Lumpini Stadium. Um, I was the first Western to ever make the, the front cover of their uh, Muay Thai magazines over there. Uh, I fought on a thing called the King's Birthday, which has a crowd of over 100,000 people in, in, a, in a park in the middle of Bangkok. And then I also won the, the strongest Westerner for 1997 in Thailand, in all of Thailand, voted by the, the uh, Muay Thai magazine reporters. So it was a massive year. It was huge. Uh, so, and I was only 21 years old then too. Wow. So but take me back to, say, the first month of that six-month trip. That must have been a pretty lonely and weird experience for a 16-year-old, yeah, uh, you know? like. 19. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, 19-year-old. Yeah, 19. So I got over there. Uh, I went with Richard's sister and husband and their family. Um, they took me to the camp in uh, Padia. They said, okay, this is where you're going to live from now on. Uh, introduced me to everybody. And then they jumped in the car and drove away. And then only like a handful of people could, could speak English. Uh, I got introduced to the guy that I was going to share a room with. Um, they showed me the double bed. They said, okay, you're going to be sharing the double bed with this guy. This is a double bed mattress on the floor. Uh, so the first three months I stayed in Apadia. Um, it was like a, a western town. Uh, everyone goes there to party. Um, it wasn't too bad because everyone could speak sort of English. So I ended up staying there for three months, having two fights. And then uh, it wasn't going so well. It was there was so many Westerners there. It was more like a, a tourist attraction instead of I, did, I wasn't getting taken seriously. So after three months, um, I wasn't happy. And then it just so happened that the superstar um, Sanctinoy came to Australia to fight here on the Gold Coast. Um, he had a fight here at the Comrade Jupiter's at the casino, and then. Uh, he had a rapport with Richard. They they became friends and everything else. And Richard asked him, "Oh, do you mind if um, John Wayne starts training at your gym?" And they go, "Oh no, we don't accept Westerners. We don't like Westerners. Westerners are evil." They go, "Come on, you got to take him on, please. Come on." So after uh, begging for a little bit, they decided, "Yeah, why not? Sure, we'll, we'll give it a go." So yeah, they got back to Thailand after Sang Ten Fort. They picked me up, took me to the camp. I was the first Westerner ever they accepted in that area. And then uh, that was in Nontaburi, so just outside in the outskirts of Bangkok. Uh, and then, yeah, stuff got really serious from that moment on because uh, you slept on a wooden floor next to 10 other fighters. Uh, the toilet consisted of just a hole in the f- a porcelain hole in the floor. And there was no toilet paper, so you had to pour water into your hand or your, 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 your bum. And then uh, for a shower, you stand on the concrete. You'd, you'd pour the water on, your, on yourself from the big basin. They'll just run out into the uh, in through a hole. You'd lather up, then you wash off again. Uh, so it was, and then there's no uh, luxuries like a couch or a chairs. You have to sit on the wooden floor to eat um, breakfast and dinner. And then Thai food is Thai food. So the, so breakfast there's no cornflakes, there's no toast. So what what you have for dinner is what you have for breakfast. So so rice, meat, vegetables, um, spicy as hell. 
and just, yeah, just crazy. So it was definitely a, a culture shock as a 19-year-old for sure. In the documentary about you um, called Blessed with Venom, uh, you... S- you go back to your former master and you know, and his wife and everything, and they're kind of, I mean, they're treating you as a son, basically. Yeah. They're saying, you know, in Thai, when you're both speaking back and forth in fluent Thai, that, uh, you know, they regarded you as a son. And, you know, in the scenes as well of you kind of, uh, and bowing as well, tell me about how it works in Thai culture and the amount of respect you probably must still have, even now, as a 10-time world champion who works out of Australia and not Thailand. What kind of relationship, yeah, do you still have towards those two and your old master? Uh, just Thailand in general. Um, you always respect your elders. So whoever's older, you, 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 it's, always, it's always the way that you have to show. You always say so there's a thing called a why, so you put your hands together, you, you into a prayer motion and, they, and then you always wait to the oldest first and they way back um, and because they the teachers yeah they're they regard like gods so yeah and then because they take you under their wing as well they put you in they shelter you they feed you um, they train you and then so what would happen I'd, we had a relationship where um, I'd, I lived at the camp for free I ate for free I trained for free but as soon as I fought I'd give them 50% of my prize money and so the more that they taught me and the better I got the, the higher I got up in the rankings which means the more money that I make from so every time you fight if you win your prize money goes up if you lose your prize money goes down so it was in their best interest to make me as good as I could to make as many wins as I could so my prize money kept going up and up and up and up so as when I as a first as when I got there my prize money was a thousand dollars uh, sorry, a, a thousand baht, which was fifty dollars Australian. Um, I did that for a few fights, and, I, and then I slowly got picked up by the number one promoter. And then my prize money went up to ten thousand baht, fifteen thousand baht, twenty thousand baht, thirty thousand baht. And then um, the last time I was there, I fought on a eight man tournament, and then I had to have three fights in one afternoon. Uh, and then I won all three, uh, and ended up winning a million baht, which is about thirty five thousand Australian. Um, and then. Uh, that was all good when I won, but then at the same time it was fifty-fifty once again. So, so you have, handing over fifteen thousand dollars to to the camp sort of hurt a bit. But um, yeah, but without them, I wouldn't have been there in the first place. So it all comes back. The biggest promoter, Song Chai, said that in Thailand, I should say, that you were the only foreign fighter to perfect Muay Thai. What was that like to hear? That it's very, it's such an honour because uh, he's promoted everyone from Raymond Decker's the Danny Bill to. Uh, Rad Sari to all the superstars that have come to visit. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Song Choi's a man. Song Choi, he he built me up from just an unknown kid to um, uh, sort of to this day. The ties still remember who I am because because of his work and because of the way that he um, promoted me. So I'm very fortunate to be one of his fighters to this day. And uh, tell me about learning the Thai language as well. I mean, how long did it take for you to, uh, you know, get to, ba- to just to having a basic level? Uh, yeah, it's very tough because uh, where I lived, there was no Westerners. And then I could go two, three, four months at a time without seeing another Westerner. And no one could, no one could speak English. It was very, very rare that someone you could put a sentence together. So it's just the, it was all hand signals, like um, like little kids. So if you were hungry, you have to do the hand gesture. You're hungry. If you wanted to sleep, you have to do the sleep gesture. Uh, needed a shower. 
Uh, and then eventually I started, I got to the stage where I thought, oh, I've got to learn this language. I can't keep sort of avoiding it anymore. So I try and teach myself five words a day. So I'd, I'd go over it on my head. I'd lay down at the end of the night. I'd go over it, over it, over it, over it. And then the next day, my new challenge was another five words. So yeah, I started learning how to count to 10 and then learn the single words like hungry, sleepy, shower, food, uh, uh, counting to 10, counting to 20, counting to a million. Uh, and then, yeah, before I knew it, um, and then the, the camp also helped me as well. They'd, they'd send me on adventures to the shops, and they'd teach me a sentence. Okay, um, I would like one bag of ice, and then you, you turn that into chips or coke or rice, or you, you just sort of get get by, and then you, you listen to things, and you start asking questions. You pick up a glass, what's this? You pick up a, a plate, what's that? Or you pick up a knife and fork, what do you call these? And then, um, yeah, before I knew it, uh, I could watch TV, go to Thai movies, uh, sing karaoke, sing Thai karaoke, and, and, know, and know that I was, know what I was singing about as well, not just follow the words, but actually uh, understand the lyrics and, and know how deep and meaningful they were. So, yeah, it was cool. It was, um, being a white fella, a, a white guy singing Thai karaoke in, in front of all Thais is um, the greatest moment uh, I can remember because uh, I felt like a pure rock star because people would actually come on the dance floor and start dancing as I was singing. So there, there was no better feeling than to, uh, to rock out uh, with a live band behind me singing Thai. It was crazy. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Australia has kind of started to encourage uh, and teach uh, Asian languages in school and you kind of grew up, you know, you spent a lot of formative years, you know, in Thailand and in Australia. What do you kind of think about Australia trying to embrace its, like, location in the world, Go grow close to Asia instead of, you know, I mean, our European roots? I think it makes sense. We're, we're closer to the, to the Asian countries than we are. Usually the uh, at, when I was at high school, it was either German, German or French, I think it was. So, no, it's cool. Um yeah, I, I went to 11 different schools, like I said before. My education wasn't the greatest. And now that I can speak two languages, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very surprising. I, I surprised myself that I actually learned how to pick it up. Um, yeah, and it's cool. When, I'm, when I hear Thai people on the street or in the airport or at the shops, um, I'll just start a, a brief conversation. And the next minute, yeah, you make instant friends because it's, you just have that bond. Um, even in Budapest, I was in Budapest last week. There was a bit, half a dozen um, Thais cruising around. I could hear the accent and I asked if they were Thais. And next minute, well, we had a full 25-minute uh, conversation just over just nothing. Just It was it was really cool. And the Thais are so friendly. It's so easy to, just, uh, to start a conversation. And, and they'll they'll banter with you for as long as you want to banter with them for. Um, the one thing about Thailand, if if you're distraught, if you need a help, um, they'll give you the shirt off their back, or they'll they'll stop what they're doing and they'll take you to the street that you're looking to find. Or um, yeah, they're it's a third world country, but at the same time, they're the, the happiest people that you've ever met. And then you go from poverty to happiness, and then you come back to Australia where we're doing quite well, and uh, people are depressed and sad. They've got cars, they've got houses, they've got furniture, they've got TV, they've got hot water, they've got food, but we're still depressed. Yet the people that are struggling don't know when they're going to get their next bite from. They're um, joking and smiling and happy, and it's it's crazy how we put so much stress on ourselves compared to countries that are should be stressing out and um, yeah they, they find the happiness out of little things yeah speaking of happiness uh, you actually became a 
you uh, became a monk, a Buddhist monk, for seven days. Is that right? How much of that do you kind of still retain or did you bring back? Uh, yeah, so every time male becomes a monk, uh, at least once in their life, so whether it be you, you can choose seven days, uh, a month, uh, three months, six months, a year, and then you, you, whatever you sort of commit to, that's how you have, you have to long to stay for. Uh, and same deal again, being in a time of Thai temple is exactly the same as living in a Thai camp. You sleep on the floor. You learn Buddhist studies twice a day in the morning, in the in the evening. Uh, so so yeah. So you get given a bowl with a um, lid on it, and then about five in the morning you walk the streets, and then you 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 do this one lap, and then on the streets people um, are willing to give you offerings. So you you see them um, kneeling down in front of you. You open the lid. They'll put rice or they'll put sweets or they might even put money into your your bowl. And then they'll kneel down in a prayer motion, and then you say a chant to help um, build them good karma, um, which is crazy. And then whatever food you get, that's sort of the food you're allowed to eat for the day. Um, and then to make things really sort of surreal, uh, we had one lady who was blind, so her sister would hold her hand, and she'd bring her out, and she'd put the food offerings into her bowl, and they kneel down, would say the chant. So hopefully, if she doesn't get her sight in this lifetime, hopefully she'll have sight in the next lifetime, which was um, just so... She was there every day for the whole seven days that I was out there. Um, and then, yeah, so and then once we get back to the camp, we're allowed to um, have... Uh, one more meal before 12 o'clock then after that we're not allowed to chew so we're allowed to drink juice or drink milk or drink water until the next day but we can't uh, chew gum or eat food or anything from 12 until the next sunrise so just uh, to fast and um, yeah learn that yeah as long as we're a little bit of food in the tummy we're okay we don't need to be full all the time so yeah before before we leave uh, Thailand, was it your kind of crowning achievement in as a young when you were as a young fella in uh, Thailand on the king's birthday, uh, fighting in Lumpini uh, Stadium and winning the I think is it the King's Cup yeah. is that the right one? The stadium is the um, Lumpini, and then the king's birthday is a different uh, festival again. So uh, the king's birthday, so on the fifth of December, uh, the the king would do a uh, like a ticket tech parade. Everyone would lie in the streets. Everyone have yellow flags. Uh, he'd drive past. And then you, you have uh, people that would drive for hours to come to this one park in the middle of Bangkok. Um, and then it was a big festival. So everyone would light a yellow candle. Everyone would sing the, the happy birthday to the king. They'd sing the national anthem. And, and then the festivities would start. So you have the, a ring in the center. Um, and the Muay Thai would start. And then there'd be all different things around the perimeter of, of the, this park. So sometimes there'd be a like a little concert or, or, or Thai dancing or a puppet show or, or just anything to entertain the, the masses. Um, they're just a festival of, of the kings pretty much. So, and then they usually have the, the, the 10 best Thai boxers versus the 10 best Westerners. Uh, and I was very lucky to, to fight on that four times. Um, so I lost the first one in 1997. I uh, just, you can imagine walking out into a crowd of 100,000 people for the first time. I uh, went weak at the knees. Yeah, the, I just went too hard too early. Gassed a little bit and by the fifth round and just um, got taken down a couple of times in the clinch and fell over, which was big score points. And um, so just lost, this one, lost that one. And then I was very fortunate to win 99, 2000 and 2001 in a row. So the first Westerner, not only the win, but to win three times in a row. So um, yeah, it was huge. So the third time that I won it... <laughs> Uh, I was presented uh, with a, a, it's called a jacket of honor, which is uh, and not just um, uh, it, it's as uh, a symbol 
for as a Westerner from the promoter to say thank you for um, committing to Muay Thai, not just Muay Thai, but um, becoming a white tie. So yeah, it, 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 getting a standing ovation from a hundred thousand people in a park to receive this award was um, yeah mind blowing. It's still to this day, I think I'm the only Westerner to ever win it too. So very very happy. So after you leave Thailand, you uh, move on to fighting uh, Westerners and Thais in different in different fights in Australia and internationally. Can you run me through some of your, I mean, your like the highlights for you in your career and some of like the worst moments? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so when I got back to Australia, um, my sponsor Richard and another gentleman called Jim Gothis, they helped me uh, build a gym. So they said, okay, you've been in Thailand a long time now, four years. Uh, let's try and get you uh, set up here in Australia. So they they found um, uh, an establishment that would help put me get some bags going and build a little ring. And they said, as long as you can pay the bills, uh, whatever is left over, you can survive on. So yeah, so uh, for the first six years... I had a gym in Mermaid and then um, yeah got lots of opportunities to fight all over Europe um, I got contracted to a company in um, Japan called K1 so I ended up having uh, 16 fights in Tokyo which is really cool um, there was also a, a TV show in 19, uh, sorry, 2007 called The Contender Asia. So I had to go and live in Singapore for eight weeks uh, in a big warehouse. And then uh, uh, every week, two of us would fight off. And whoever, if you lost, you went home. If you win, you stayed. And eventually got to the stage where, um, yeah, I got to the final. So we lived in uh, Singapore eight weeks. And then there was a six month gap between the semi final and the final. So they had to edit all the 16, uh, the 14 episodes together. They aired all the 14 episodes. And then there was a live final in Singapore in front of uh, 10,000 people. So, and then I fought the, the one of the Thai killers called Yotsengai. So, yeah, so in front of 10,000 people, um, uh, we had a, a really good fight. And he, he knocked me down twice and ended up going to the decision, ended up losing in a, in a, in a good fight. Um, I didn't win, but at the same time, I, I didn't lose any respect because I kept getting up every time he knocked me down. And then, um, and then I think uh, between all 15 episodes, the series had close to uh, 500 million viewers around the world to 130 different countries. So, yeah, it was a massive, massive... Um, boost for the sport um, getting into lounge rooms it wouldn't usually get into because it was a, a, a Mark Bennett production who does the Survivor and the Apprentice and all those sort of shows so um, yeah it was really well run and uh, the, for about a couple of years my time was going crazy because it was because of the uh, little bit of a boost that we had and then uh, from then on in uh, UFC ended up taking over because they did the same thing they ran their reality show and theirs just kept going and ours only did the one season so but hopefully um Muay Thai has been accepted into the Olympics now, so hopefully 2024 is going to be the first time um, the Olympics are going to be um, showing the Muay Thai, so hopefully that's going to be a, a big injection for the sport and for the young kids to try and strive to hopefully want to represent their countries and become, um, yeah, gold medalists in Muay Thai. Yeah, so where is Australian Muay Thai at? And with the uh, and is the UFC and other MMA um, organizations is it good for Muay Thai is it encouraging more more people to get into you know mixed martial arts sorry and into and into Muay Thai definitely they're they're uh, the Pretty much all the striking that you see in uh, uh, MMA is, is probably all Muay Thai based. Um, it's the strongest style because it incorporates the elbows and the knees and the stand up clinching. Uh, 
and then yeah, they're constantly talking about the Muay Thai different strikes on the commentary. Uh, so yeah, if, if you want to be a good MMA guy, it's very important that you have a good stand up striking. Um, otherwise, yeah, with those little gloves on, it's your cactus. Um, yeah, it's uh, it all, all it all complements each other as well. Um, and people, the best MMA fights are the ones they, they stand and strike for the the entire fight too. So um, yeah, no, it's very cool. It's, we're very lucky to have uh, UFC so big as it, as it is now because it's, it's really helping martial arts get to that next level. The rise of MMA through the UFC and Bellator and K1 has, you know, given you the opportunity to both, like, train fighters for the stand-up part of it and striking in Muay Thai and for you to fight, of course, under the Bellator kickboxing. What is it like to see, you know, this whole, like, explosion of the last, like, 10 years of uh, MMA? It's, it's quite crazy. Probably, I think, early 2000, UFC would really sort of hit their plateau. Um, I got back from Thailand in 99, and then I hadn't really heard of the UFC until about oh, 2005, 2006. Yeah, and then um, all of a sudden you hear about The Cage, and you hear about Tito Ortiz, and you hear about Chuck Liddell and George St. Pierre. Um, yeah, rent gangbusters. And then you hear about them doing... Like uh, three million, three million, three million dollar gates, and uh, just ridiculous numbers on pay per views, and uh, fighters making a million dollars only recently. Like Conor McGregor making two million dollars just for a, a, a MMA fight, uh, and then they they sold. They, I think they bought the company for like three million, and they sold it for four point five billion or something. So just the expansion. I think they even um, they did a TV deal five years ago. The Fox thing worth. I think it was seven hundred or nine hundred million dollars for a five-year contract, which is unbelievable. So, so there is there is hope for us little martial artists out there somehow to try and make a few dollars before. Uh, it's not just fun and games. You can make a bit of money if you try hard enough. So, and you've also travelled to uh, to Canada as well, trained George Saint Pierre for for fights. So, tell us about that, and tell us if there's any truth to rumours floating around about you training Weidman as well. Uh, so yeah, the I get offered to do seminars all around the world um, going and teaching so I had the opportunity to go to Canada for a couple of weeks uh, I did uh, I think seven, seven, seven seminars in seven days so I did the seminars and everything was really good then we had like two days to kill before I was flying back to Australia and then the, the guys that brought me over it's like oh what can we do to kill some time um, how can we amuse you before you go and then I was sitting there um, thinking so oh, um would you like to meet George St. Pierre? He's in Montreal. It's only a two-hour drive. We can we can hook it up if you like. So, oh, I'd love to meet George. I'm a massive fan. So they knew the owner of the gym, TriStar, uh, Faraz. So they gave him a call. It's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. We'd love to meet John Wayne. Um, as a matter of fact, we have Muay Thai sparring tomorrow. Does If John Wayne wants to jump in, he's more than welcome to do a few rounds with George. So it's like, oh, beautiful. Very cool. So we jumped in the car, um, met all the boys the day before, everything was really cool. Um, I was a bit out of my element meeting all the superstars, but at the same time, it was, it was, uh, very surreal. Um, the next day I got to the gym and then we all warmed up and put our shin pads and gloves on. And then the, the big boss of the camp's like, all right, so George, you're going to spar John Wayne. I said, like, holy shit. So here we go. This is the real deal now. So we touch gloves and I'm like a little schoolgirl just going, oh, thank- oh George, it's not so nice to meet you. I'm such a big fan. This is going to be crazy. I can't believe I get to spar you. And he's just looking at me like I'm some sort of weirdo. <laughs> and, um, so the bell went, the, the round started and then, um, I was a little bit apprehensive because I was so, so starstruck. And then, um, after about 30, 40 seconds, seconds, I noticed, um, I, I wasn't getting hit and I could see everything coming. 
So I thought, oh, screw it. I'll, I, I, I have a crack. So I, I applied some pressure, and before I knew it, I was chasing George St. Pierre from one side of the cage to the other side of the cage, and then um, just uh, harassing him almost. Uh, and after um, a couple of rounds, after the, 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 the sparring finished, George is like, holy shit. It felt like I was sparring five guys at once. He just surrounded me. I've never had so much, uh, pl- someone apply so much pressure before. Um, so we, we took some photos. We shook hands. I was on my way. I went back to Australia. And about three or four months later, um, Faraz, the owner of the camp, he rang Australia. He rang my phone. He said, hey, I'm just sitting here beside George. He's got a big fight coming up against Johnny Hendricks in 10 weeks. Um, he's just wondering, would you like to fly back to Montreal and, and training personally for two weeks? It's like, oh, man, that'd be amazing. That'd be crazy. Um, so I asked my wife she said yeah go for it <laughs> so next day I jumped on the plane I got picked up by George George took me to the hotel where he likes to keep all his superstars Freddie Roach and all his other superstars that look after him and then uh, for the next two weeks we were just uh, side by side for 24 hours a day it was amazing it was so cool um, I hold pads teaching techniques and he was like the perfect student every time I asked him to do something he's like yes sir yes sir yes sir so yeah it was, it was, it was the most fun week I've ever had so um, yeah, yeah. We stayed in Montreal for one week, and then George was like, "Hey, have you ever been in New York?" So I've never been. He goes, oh, "I'll tell you what, let's go to New York. New York's like my second hometown." So he rang his travel agent. Can we book some tickets for tonight? Yeah, done. So we jumped on the plane, went to New York that night. We got a. He got me a room each at the the Marriott in the middle of New York, and we stayed there for a week again and um, trained. And uh, it was it was really cool. Uh, every time we sparred George, he's like, "Oh no." You're just going to bash me again, aren't you? I said, well, that's the idea. That's why you got me over here for. So so we did that uh, for the two weeks. And as he was sending me to the airport to go back to Australia, he was like, I, I just want to let you know um, you're the you're the hardest person that I've ever sparred. He said, usually after sparring a couple of people, usually after the two or three times, I've worked him out by that stage. I found their holes. I found their weaknesses. He said, but with yourself, I have no idea. I've, you just harassed me and I, I can't escape your pressure. So, um, yeah, it was the biggest compliment that I've had of a superstar ever. It was really cool. And can you give us any news on Weidman at all? Uh, I'm not sure what's happening there. Uh, we become a we had a good relationship when we came over from America uh, we spent three days in Sydney together four days in Perth um, we did a few seminars together we did a little bit of training together and uh, Hans Mollenkamp that um, is my sort of manager um, he's we've seen that we were bonding quite well and he said oh, it'd be great to, if Monster paid Monster Energy paid for you to fly to America and help with um, Chris's next camp but uh, Chris only just had hand surgery again only last week so he might be off, off for a little bit more now than six months probably before he's back in the cage again but um, yeah he's a, he's a great guy um, and a good student he, he wants to learn so if the opportunity comes I'd love to go over to New York and, and mix it up again the last three fights uh, you've been you've done under Bellator uh, kickboxing resulted in two wins with TKO and uh, one loss recently in Hungary due to decision. Where does your fight career go now? Uh, I just got in contact with Scott Coker, the owner, the man, the big boss of um, Bellator last week, and he said, um, "Yeah, be honoured to resign me." So he's just going to speak to his associates and hopefully um, I'll have a new contract next week. Hopefully, hopefully. So when I see it, I'll believe it. Until then, I'm just fingers crossed that it happens. Um, it's the greatest company I've ever fought for. K1 was amazing, and K1 looked after me like a superstar and paid me amazing money. But uh, compared to Bellator, Bellator is the next level again. Uh, their production, their their fighting, uh, the way that they're trying to expand their kickboxing brand, and um, 
yeah, the, the money's amazing as well. So it makes it very difficult to retire that when you're getting big lump sums of cash at, at 41, it's like, well, how am I going to make this money after I retire? So, um, yeah, hopefully I can fight for them for a few more years, uh, be successful, um, and, and leave my legacy with those guys. So when I retire that, um, yeah, I'm, I don't fade away into the distance. I want to, I want to still be, um, somebody. I want to be, yeah, yeah, hopefully my, my legacy will live forever. Yeah, and all this is going on at the same time as you've got champions coming up underneath you that you're training at your gym up here in the Gold Coast. What's that like, you know, after we've talked about, you know, your time spent over in Thailand and, you know, making the making you the man you are today. Yeah, what's it like training these young fellas that are going off to win, you know, world titles now? Yeah, it's very cool. Um, when you see the young guys come into the gym for the first time and they, they don't know how to hold their hands up and you, you teach them the basics and then you get them to a certain level where you invite them to the fighter class and then they get to their fitness up and they're um they start competing uh and then you see them going from nervous little kids to to helping their self-confidence and then to winning belts and then to uh to fighting overseas is is very surreal it's, uh it's almost, almost like molding clay so you, you mold the perfect pot and then next minute you're selling it for a, a good price so it's almost the same uh it's um it's very cool because i wanted to see as many people live the lifestyle i've been living the last uh 25 years as well it's there's no better adventure than jumping on a plane going to a different country being the bad guy winning and then being accepted by um the fans from in in the in a completely different culture so um and then there's no better feeling than coming through let's say you win a world title having a, a world title over your shoulder going through airports having the crowd stopping and pointing at you as if you're some sort of freak uh a, a successful freak that is <laughs> so yeah it's very cool it's very rewarding yeah let's talk a little bit about you know resilience and this ability that you have to you know i mean when you were when you first went over as a teenager to thailand it would it did take a lot to stick it out and you know to keep on going do you think muay thai helped you develop resistance or did it or has it come from like a younger age for you good question uh i think it's a combination of things like i said um i went to 11 different schools growing up um and then muay thai was always my always my happy place so it's one of those things where i i knew from i knew before i started martial arts that this was my destiny um i knew what i wanted to be a fighter and then when i found that i found when i found muay thai i knew that all right this is it this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life i told myself that after the very first fight i had um and then yeah it gets tough and sometimes you get cut up and sometimes you get uh broken bones but um yeah if i want to it's just little hiccups i know that i'm going to heal i know i'm going to get better i know i'm going to learn from my mistakes and hopefully not make the same ones again but uh there's never been a a stage in my career that's like all right i'm done i'm finished i'm going to go and get a normal job now it's always been to to stick to the course and and um, I've, I've seen this on, on multiple interviews. Um, everyone, everyone's going to get to the stage where they, they eventually pass. Uh, and I want to be like the Muhammad Ali or the Raymond Deckers or, or one of the greats that um, hopefully my legacy will surpass myself and my, my, hopefully my grandchildren will be proud of the, what I've achieved while I was alive. So, so yeah, I, I'm not going to waste this time on earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a legacy that's going to live way beyond uh, my time here. 
tell me something that you've kind of done in the past to, you know, get in your own way or like self-sabotage. Self-sabotage? Um, mm, no. No, it's always, it's always been... Uh, when, I, when I was younger, I, I, I had a partying... A teenager, early 20s, especially being in Thailand for so long, it was almost like living in jail because you could only be at the camp, train, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep. And even as a 24-year-old, I'd get in trouble if I tried to leave the camp to go and get something for lunch. I had to live at the camp. There was no escape. Then once I got back to Australia again, all of a sudden I had this freedom. So I started in the drink a little bit. Um, I, I thought my school level was at a stage where I could didn't have to train as hard. Uh, and then I, I was still I was still winning. So, but um, yeah, I was very. It wasn't until my kids were born that uh, that changed everything. So then once you have the kids, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm not fighting for me anymore. I'm not fighting for just the sake of having enough money to party. Um, uh, I have to fight for my children's future. I, I have to train to try and um, I have to try and win as many much as I can. So I have enough prize money to. I want to eventually not rent a house. I want to try and have my own establishment. I want to try and um, have my own gym. So yeah, through 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 actually um, having new goals now, it, it sort of changes when you all of a sudden grow up and have uh, responsibilities that it, it changes everything. You have something to fight for now instead of just fighting for yourself. As a father now and like reflecting on what you did as a teenager, you know, in Australia fighting Muay Thai and travelling at a young age and living overseas, you know, would you encourage your kids to do the same? At least to, you know, to go out there in the world and try different things? Uh, my daughter's going to have her first Thailand experience in uh, three months. She's just got a two-week two adventure just on school break as a as a 15-year-old. So it's just a test of water. Um, if she does decide to have a fight while she's there, I'll fly over for it and uh, help be in a corner but she's just going to train um it's one of the other mums is going to be with us so so it's, she's going with us by herself but at the same time she's going to uh chaperoned but uh yeah this is her passion as well she's 15 she's had 20 fights now she's won four belts um and loves it i, I asked her in the car going home uh, approximately about a year ago it's like okay out of curiosity what do you want to do when you grow up you're you're you're, you're 14 15 now what's the plan do you want to be a nurse? Do you want to be the vet? That's what usually girls want to be. So, oh no, I'm just going to be a professional fighter. Uh, I'll live off my prize money. And it's like, ah, oh, but girls' prize money isn't the same as guys' money. It's pretty hard. She goes, right, we've got the gym. I'll just teach classes and do private lessons and, and just live on. It's like, holy crap, you've really thought about this, haven't you? She goes, oh, I got it sorted. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm set. So, yeah, she definitely wants to walk in the footsteps. And, and last year was uh, her first time fighting me in Birmingham. Uh, we fought uh, October, I think it was. Um, she went over there. She fought five rounds for a belt. She won the belt. And then after she won, I did a seminar tour. I did, I think I did four or five seminars up up and down the, the East Coast and uh, up north, up south, did the whole country. And then um, so we'd, we'd, we'd jump on our train. We'd travel for three, four hours. We'd get picked up. I teach. We get taken to dinner. We go to a hotel, and the next day we start again. We catch a train. We get picked up. I teach. We get taken to dinner. We go to a hotel, and she's like, "This is amazing." You get the and then everywhere we went, every single person knew my name, knew Jazzy's name. Um, everyone would get photos and signatures and. 
just um, being a superstar in a, in a different country is uh, so much fun. So when when she sees that, she's like, "Oh, I want to do this for sure. This is this is awesome. This is cool." So and then yeah, I'd love for her to 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 walk in the same footsteps because I for myself, there's no no, no better feeling than com- compared to working an office job or, or laying bricks um, eight, ten, twelve hours a day, where you can travel, teach, um, and make friendships all across the world with people that you you don't know with weird accents is is cool. So, <laughs> and final question. So, we already have one UFC champion in Robert Whitaker and a former champion in Mark Hunt. Uh, can Australia grow even more and dominate the MMA the MMA world? Yeah, I hope so. Um, we have a, a gentleman called uh, Bam Bam. Uh, he's he's the man. He's from Western Sydney. We also have uh, Tyson Pedro. He's also coming up. He's uh, only had the one loss in about I think four wins at a USC now. Uh, we also have uh, Megan Anderson who's fighting uh, Holly Holm. Uh, I think two weeks time. I think it is. So she's another uh, one forty five pounder. That's um, potentially if she beats Holly, she'll fight Cyborg for the title. So yeah, the the world's an oyster. Um, Australia is so crazy for such a small little country that we are with a small population um we're killing it so once we put our minds to something we're uh, very strong so it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens uh, in the next few years but um definitely uh the only thing with america they got their head head start on us because they wrestle at high school so and the wrestling such a big factor when it comes to the the mma rules um but when it comes to everything else with the the striking and the jiu-jitsu um we're definitely up there and then with my tie uh yeah, we're probably one of, in the top five or six countries in the world um, outside of Thailand. So, um, and the boxing as well. Now we have Jeff Horn that's just about to go and fight, uh, defend his world title in Vegas. Um, so, yeah, we're uh, we're the fighting nation, and we should be very proud of ourselves because we're we're doing all right. Well, John, thanks again for joining me, mate. It's been such an absolute pleasure to have you on here, and uh, yeah, all the best for the future. We can't wait to see you back in Bellator, you know, fighting for titles, and yeah training and let's face it training the youth of australia for the best stand-up stand-up game in the world in my as far as i'm absolute honor it's very cool um yeah it's going to be interesting to see where my kids can take it in the next few years and then hopefully you see either my daughter or my son in the olympics in it in uh, 2024 thanks again to john wayne parr for joining me look out for him he'll be fighting with bellator kickboxing undoubtedly he'll be going after that 100th win very soon if you enjoyed the podcast Please leave us a review or a comment on iTunes. It really helps us as a podcast get noticed by other people in the podcast community. My name is Jesse Begley. This has been Life in Flux, and we'll see you next week.